Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. It's down to the last few weeks of 2020, a time when advisors turn their attention to the new year and how best to design portfolios to meet client objectives. In this year-end installment of our weekly Views from the Desk podcast, portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Chris McKinney, along with your host Mark Rays, lay out their expectations for the year to come with top ETF picks for 2021. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF insight call for advisors. I'm your host, Mark Reyes, head of product for BMO Game Canada covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk, working on equity ETFs and derivative-based solutions. Let's get right into things. Uh, We're in that interesting time of the year that market predictions are starting to come in for 2021. I'd have to say they're looking pretty optimistic to date from what I've seen. Can you touch on your own outlook, uh, both for the S&P 500 and the TSX Composite for next year? As well, are you expecting concentrated returns to continue to drive markets, uh, which we saw for most of the year, or a more diversified contribution to returns, which started to show up later in the year. Thank you. You know, I think at a high level, we've been talking about the vaccines rolling out. Um, that's going to be, you know, something that I think is eagerly awaited. And I think that's the reason why, you know, hope is bringing paternal, especially this year, um, starting to see that first vaccine rollout. The Moderna vaccine's about to be approved, it looks like, uh, in the U.S., and uh, so vaccine, obviously, is very good news for the COVID crisis. And then, um, you know, continued stimulus, I think, at a high level is, is very beneficial for markets. And we're seeing a commitment uh, of fiscal and monetary stimulus from, uh, from the Canadian government. And, and, you know, we're still waiting to see that stimulus package in the U.S. You know, perhaps they need to finalize the Senate runoff race in January. But, um, you know, that will be coming. So, you know, that, that combination between a rollout of the vaccine and, um, and continued stimulus, I think, are good for markets overall. Um, so, I, you know, we have to caution ourselves not to be too over, overly uh, exuberant, as you say, but um, I think cautiously optimistic that by this time next year, we'll be in a much uh, better place, um, you know, economically, which should be um, constructive for markets. So, you know, in terms of the contribution returns, where, where I think they're going to come next year, I'm, you know, Mark, and I, I know you love it when I hedge my bets. I'm going to say a little bit of both. Um, again, I do think we'll see a mix. I think, you know, the um, you know the reopening trade um, that can that can happen with this rollout of vaccines, you know, it's going to lessen credit risks as, as the economy reopens. You know, that should help some beaten up areas of the market. You know, I'm thinking about dividends, value. And small caps. So I think that will, you know, that that could be somewhat of a trend reversal that we see next year. Um, at the same time, I think you know the strength we saw with the IT um, sector, you know, that came from the work from home. You know, I don't think that goes away either. You know, we're in a new reality now, and then the new reality is going to require that playbook of you know continued IT strength, 
And we're going to see, you know, a lot of those companies that did well and work from home, you know, I think are going to continue to do very well next year, you know, and I think we're really moving towards kind of a hybrid model as we go forward in the long term. So, um, so again, so the, on that side, you know, I think that that quality exposure that we talk, you know, a lot about, whether it's in the U.S. or global, ZUQ, ZGQ, it's a great way to get exposure to to um, to that kind of continuing theme that I think will will continue to play out for many many years as a secular theme going forward. Um, and then I'll just kind of you know briefly between the U.S. and Canada, um, you know I think there's um, you know there's reasons to like both for for those high level reasons. You know I do think. Um, Biden is going to be a stimulative president in the U.S. You know, we expect to see a steepening yield curve. Um, the market seems a little bit more constructive on the U.S. versus Canada, but I think we can see maybe perhaps low um, double-digit returns in the U.S., perhaps high single-digit returns in Canada. Um, you know, in Canada, the demand from oil should um, should increase next year, you know, if this all remains true with the reopening. Um, but I think most market um, participants see it kind of remaining around the you know fifty dollar barrel range. Um, gold price perhaps stabilizing as well. So um, you know pretty constructive on both markets. Perhaps still a little bit of an edge to the U.S. You know they've had that that ability to you know grow GDP growth a little bit higher than Canada for quite a, quite a time. So um, perhaps a little hard to call Canadian comeback uh, at this point. But I think both markets do well. And then turn it over to uh, Chris. Yeah, and uh, you know, I would say my comments aren't aren't that different, but you know, where I would see potential divergence from what Chris Heeks just laid out there is I actually expect Canada to potentially do a little bit better in terms of um, you know stock market returns or, or the broad market index in terms of returns there, and you know, it's it's largely to do with uh, I would say valuations. Obviously, it's hard to pick um, you know one year out and. and determine exactly what's going to happen and play out. But, you know, to, to echo some of those points, you know, I think we see a reopening trade happening um, throughout 2021. And I think what, what that does is it does create a more diversified contribution to return to, you know, to get to your last question there, Mark. Um, and we have started to see that here in November, uh, starting in November and then here in, into December as well, that those stocks that have been beaten down, they are starting to rally now, now that we have this sort of light at the end of the tunnel, as, as we're calling it with the vaccine uh, rollout. And so I think you do start to see greater participation in market returns and a little bit more, um, you know, away from that concentrated technology only type of market that we've been in for, for most of 2020. Certainly, there are very high-quality stocks in the technology area that we think will continue to do well. You know, the market leaders like Apple, Microsoft, Visa, et cetera. Um, but there's a lot of, I guess, extreme valuation in that sector as well. And maybe that comes off a little bit um, and leads to greater participation from other parts of the market. So, you know, I would put the S&P at that high single-digit um, potential return for next year because of that, you know, certainly a lot of positive things, but, you know, the valuations we're at right now in certain parts of the market, I think comes off a little bit and, and mutes some of the overall returns. And then as for Canada, I think that reopening trade actually benefits Canada more. Um, you know, financials in Canada have been beaten up and they're actually very high quality companies, you know, Canadian banks, a big part of that uh, we think will moderate a little bit more and, and perform well as well as that commodity and energy complex, which Canada has more exposure to than the U.S. So I think the upside there in Canada 
again, valuation-wise, um, favors Canada a little bit more, and you could see that double-digit returns coming out of Canada um, versus those low single digits in, in the U.S. But certainly, I, I, I don't think um, uh, we're looking at a, a very bearish-type environment that we're in. I think it, it will be bullish overall. It's just a question of, um, you know, how how strong our returns. And again, based on valuation, I like Canada a little bit better. Great. Thanks both. Appreciate those uh, points. Some good things for people to think about as they, as they prepare for the new year. I think uh, as we go forward, I'll try, I tr- I'll try to hold you to some, uh, some tighter predictions as uh, we have fun with this in the new year. On the fixed income side, uh, we are seeing the curve beginning to steepen. The yield on you know, I use the government of Canada 10 years, kind of my barometer, uh, approaching 75 basis points. Now, we certainly don't expect much to, to rise in the short end. So do you expect further steepening in the new year? And how would you approach this in portfolios? Thanks. Yeah, I'll take this one. And certainly, as you say, um, you know, central banks have made it very clear um, you know, short rates or the overnight rates, at least, are not going up anytime soon. Um, particularly, the Fed in the U.S. has been, you know, extremely dovish, and Canada, for the most part, you know, has to follow not necessarily in lockstep, but has to pretty much play the same game as the U.S. is playing. Um, and you know, it's interesting. You you, um, you mentioned the government of Canada approaching 75 basis points, coming from below. Um, you know, that's less than half of where we were one year ago. Um, a little bit surprising um, to, to think about it in those terms, but, um, and we're actually coming off the bottom. So we're, rates are moving up and we're, we're still less than half of where we were one year ago. Um, and so to your point, I think this is also tied to that reopening trade. You know, as uh, economies rebound and reopen, you certainly can expect to see a, a tilting in that yield curve, starting with the long rates um, and, then, and then picking up from there. And, you know, again, going more by what they've said in the U.S. and the Fed, you know, they are comfortable overshooting on inflation, at least for a period of time before rates go up. Again, I think Canada will, for the most part, follow suit there. And so you can see a scenario where inflation does significantly pick up in 2021, um, without um, any indication of rates moving up from, from the central banks. And so that will really move um, certainly the, the far end of the curve, third, 20, 30 years, um, and somewhat impact the 10-year as well. And so you, you can potentially see this steepening. In terms of how to play that, um, you know, really it's, it's keeping your fixed income exposure a little bit shorter than, than maybe the broad market. Concentrate on that you know, mid to short um, type maturity uh, I know it's harder, you know, the shorter you go, of course, the more yield you're giving up and there isn't much yield to, to take anyway. So it's pretty painful to be all in the short end. So I would I would extend that out to the mid part of the curve as well and say gain your exposure through the mid to short, stay away from the long, unless, of course, you're really, really concerned about equity markets selling off and you want that that sort of protection from the duration element. But I would I would keep it somewhat mid to short. I would, you know, we've we've argued before about focusing on high quality corporates you know i think keeping in the corporate space to pick up as much yield as you can makes sense but to stick to that high quality area so zqb is one um that that we offer that focuses on that that high quality corporate exposure 
Um, also, it's you know, that one to 10 year uh, exposure. So kind of staying away from that long end as well. So that one, I think, uh, should work pretty well. Um, and then some of our other corporate bonds like ZCS, ZCM, that are just the, the, the broad uh, investment grade corporates uh, on the short end and then on, on, the, on the mid as well. So I think that's kind of the area you want to focus in for the most part. Again, just staying a little bit away from that long end as, as you can expect inflation to potentially tick up here. Um, of course, it does depend how well the economy rebounds and as, as we do reopen. Um, that's a big part of it. But hopefully we can get to that other side and have that um, robust uh, economic growth. And so, again, staying a little bit short on your exposure and, and, and into high quality corporates, I think, makes a lot of sense. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now, let's move into a notable trade that we all know is coming at the end of this week with Tesla getting added into the S&P 500. Certainly, uh, certainly big news there. Now, how does this actually work through your process running the ETF? And how does the market provide the liquidity to support a trade of this size? Now, maybe you can put that in context for everyone. And, and the other thought that comes to mind if you look back at some other significant index inclusions, you know, some might think it's a foregone conclusion that will result in a higher stock price just because more demand through, through the indexes. Uh, but is that actually the case or are results more random? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, uh, you know, a lot of good questions in there. And, uh, you know, this is when ETFs you know, get really interesting when you go inside the hood of, 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 of uh, how they work and how they get managed. Um, just for a little background, and I would also mention we've re- recorded another podcast, a deep dive uh, podcast on the different cap elements of the S&P in the U.S., so the large cap, the S&P 500, the mid, and the small. And we, we do talk about Tesla there, you know, a little bit more. But um, just for a little background, you know, the S&P, whether it's large cap, mid, or small, does have a financial viability screen. So um, they require at least four quarters of positive uh, gap earnings. So that's the reason why Tesla actually wasn't in um, until so long. And, and, and obviously, Tesla's stock price has continued to kind of increase over the last kind of couple of years in particular, um, while it was not a member. So that's why it kind of took so long for them to go in. But as you mentioned, it's going into the index on um, December 18th, uh, this Friday. Uh, probably the weight's going to be somewhere around 1.5%, depending on where the price ends up. It's going to be, I believe, the largest addition ever. Uh, certainly, the largest addition in the S and P in in um, you know recent memory. Now, to to kind of get get to some of your questions, um, you know, liquidity providers, you know, so obviously index indexes like um, or ETFs like ZSP or S and P 500 ETF will be the buyers. Um, who's going to be the sellers? Um, you do see a diverse set of sellers around these events. Uh, one, you would have. Um, actually, strategies that are particularly geared towards index arbitrage. So these would be systematic funds or hedge funds that seek to um, perhaps buy Tesla in advance of the the, um, the announcement and, and hold it and hedge it and sell it to um, to index buyers. Uh, so that's one element. Um, that's actually a very um, you know, significant player in the market, and there's a lot of those players out there. Um, the other players we see are fundamental investors. So as in, you know, as passive investing has grown, you know, it's such a big part of the market now, and ETFs are such a big part of the market, you know, this has really, in my mind, woken up 
fund- fundamental investors to uh, the liquidity opportunities that index additions and deletions present. So uh, what you may see and what you often see around these events is fundamental investors uh, perhaps saying, well, you know, I've been holding Tesla, I've been doing quite well on it. You know, perhaps it's, you know, a little outside of its fundamental value at this point. I we won't get into that debate right now, but um, uh, they may seek to very, you know, very well. We're going to see quite a few of them seek to sell on the index rebound. I don't think we'll see a lot of fundamental investors looking to buy on the uh, on Friday, unless there's, you know, a, a, an unexpected sell-off. Perhaps it would. Um, and then in general, I think you've got just got liquidity seeking investors. So as I said, these these events are so big that you know any investor who wants uh, or needs liquidity. Um, they can seek that. And even you've seen that with Tesla themselves are issuing, I believe, $5 billion of stock this this week, you know, recognizing the liquidity um, that this, this week presents. Um, so, you know, in terms of how it's playing out right now, uh, the volumes are elevated. Uh, the last couple of weeks, kind of relative to the last couple of months, you know, that's very typical, leading into a rebalance. And, 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 you know, if you want to ask us, how do we approach it from our side, from BMO, um, you know, we can't go into the specifics, obviously, of how we're going to exactly manage Tesla on Friday. But, you know, I would want to rest assured that the, um, you know, the listeners, our clients, you know, indexes, this, you know, running an index is not just to set it and forget it and throw all your trades into the closed type of exercise. Um, with any index change, we take a lot of care do, um, you know, a lot of analysis to figure out, you know, what um, trades are potential issues. This would be one. This is a very large trade. And we seek to manage that. And there's certain things we can, you know, um, do around that to make sure, you know, our clients pay fair prices for for, for the equities that we're going to buy or get fair prices for equities we're going to sell. So um, I wanted to just kind of rest, you know, put, to throw that out there that, you know, we're not just blindly indexing. You know, there's a lot of thought and um, consideration and strategy that goes in to, um, to getting ex- excellent executions on these. So um, maybe, maybe I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, typically what we do see is, um, especially on, you know, large and broad, you know, very well-known indexes like the S&P 500, you know, we typically see them get absorbed pretty well. And as you mentioned, it's not a foregone conclusion that Tesla goes higher on Friday. It can go lower, it can go higher. But typically, we do see um, them getting very uh, absorbed very well, you know, largely in help um, from a, from you know a lot of market participants that come to play in this event now. So, kind of from all corners of the market, they come to play this type of event and and give us uh, some offsetting liquidity. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you going into detail there. And if there's one thing I'd have people take away is that it isn't a foregone conclusion on on the stock price action uh, around that trade and. You know, if we go back a number of years, we've actually seen some of these things, you know, trade up in the days in advance and trade down on the day of. So you're never quite sure how that liquidity event will, will end result. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Check out episode number 23 in this same podcast series, where we take a deeper look at the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you expose clients to the best companies from around the world. Looking into 2021, what about FX? 
So if you consider uh, the CAD US exchange rate, certainly we've seen the Canadian dollar advance significantly, uh, at least in the back half of the year. Um, what is continuing to drive this appreciation and your views for next year? And as well, how are clients then using ETFs to make these currency decisions? Thanks. Sure, I'll take this one. And um, yeah, we have seen, and you know, I'll take a look from April onwards, you know, to, to kind of get past the noise of COVID. But essentially, since April, um, you know, the Canadian dollar has appreciated about 10% against the U.S. dollar. So, you know, typically currency doesn't move that much in a single year. Um, it's certainly not unheard of, but that that does represent a pretty big move. Um, for the currency. And, you know, if, if you think about your equity funds returning, you know, in a decent year this year, 15%, um, that currency decision um, could potentially eat into a big part of those returns, right? Um, if you've seen Canadian dollar appreciate by 10% and you have a US dollar um, equity fund, then, you know, your 15% becomes maybe closer to 5%. Uh, and so it could could make a big impact on returns, um, depending which way the currency goes. Um, so, so it is a big question, and we have seen a lot of uh, investors um, trading around this recently. Um, you know, what one thing I would say as we look towards 2021 is that, you know, the Canadian dollar has improved, as I said, about 10% since, since April. Um, but really, that's just in line with what other global currencies have done. So really, this is more of a story of U.S. dollar weakness uh, rather than Canadian dollar strength, um, as, again, pretty much broadly across most global or at least the, the top global currencies, the U.S. dollar has weakened. And, you know, this is something that we saw coming out of the financial crisis and is likely to play out over the next couple of years as we get just mass amounts of quantitative easing um, and, you know, uh, extremely low interest rates, um, that tends to be pretty bearish for a currency. And again, we, we've seen that start to play out here with the U.S. dollar. Um, you know, interestingly, Bank of Canada Governor uh, Tiff Macklin, Macklin um, just, just mentioned this yesterday. Um, you know, he, he indicated he has seen, you know, Canadian dollar appreciation as significant and you know, on our radar was, was his quote. Um, you know, so I think it's something that he's not too happy about. I think he prefers a, a weaker currency and that helps Canadian exports if our currency is a little bit weaker. So he would um, like a weaker currency. Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's much he can do about it because, um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't foresee any further rate cuts coming out of the Bank of Canada. And in fact, they're probably going to start tapering um, their own quantitative easing program you know, early next year. And so these are things that are generally more supportive of a currency, <clears throat> excuse me, um, rather than weakening it. So, I, you know, I don't think there's much um, that can be done. And if the U.S. dollar continues that sort of global weakness, you could see that play out against the Canadian dollar as well. Um, you know, one other thing that could potentially... Um, lead to a stronger Canadian dollar, as we mentioned earlier, in 2021, as uh, economies reopen, that could be bullish for the commodity complex in general, for energy as well, for, um, you know, for oil and gas and for commodities in general as the economy um, grows globally. Um, and that could also be supportive of the Canadian dollar. So, 
Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons to think this could potentially continue. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say there's going to be another 10% move. Um, that's for sure. But, you know, we are starting to get to the point where um, the currency has moved a lot. And to your second question, we have seen investors using ETFs to, um, to invest around that. So uh, we've seen a lot of switch trades from funds that are hedged to Canadian dollars. Uh, we've seen investors now selling out of those and moving into the equivalent uh, unhedged ETF. And for most um, ETFs that, that we offer at BMO that have global exposure, whether it's just straight U.S. or international currencies, we typically offer two different versions of that, of that fund. Um, again, hedged to Canadian dollars and, of course, unhedged as well. And so investors can use that to maintain the underlying exposure that they want, whether it's a geographic equity or, or whatever the case may be, but then change that currency exposure that they have. So, again, we have seen some of this um, play out in the market where investors are starting to sell those hedge to CAD portfolios that have performed so well here in 2020 and switch to that unhedged exposure simply on recognition that it has moved so much um, and maybe take a little bit of that profit, so to speak, off the table, maintain that underlying exposure, um, but in an unhedged uh, way on the currency side. So it's a great tool uh, for investors to be able to have both of those options. And again, it is something that investors should pay attention to because of, again, the potential for those large swings. Um, again, about 10% just over the last eight, nine months or so in the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. So that's a couple of ways investors can, can take a look at it and, and, and use ETFs to, uh, to trade around that. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Um, watching the time, we're having a good conversation today, but I'm going to give you a quick one. I'm going to put you both on the spot. Um, heading into 2021, and you might need a second to think about this, uh, one ticker each uh, that you see as a, as a real opportunity. And it can be you know, something broad, like how we talked about ZUQ, or U.S. quality, quite a bit last year, or something uh, more of a tactical trade where you know, we talked about um, gold or um, you know, base metals at certain points, or even banks uh, quite a bit last year. So with that, one ticker each of looking into 2021. Thanks. Mark, um, you know, I think BMO, we've got 130, 140 tickers or so, and we, we've just filed prelim prospectus for, I believe, another uh, 17. So I, um, by my calculation, by next year, we're going to have 150. So thank you for not uh, limiting us in our choices. Um, I'm going to say, and, and obviously building a portfolio is more than one ticker, but, I, you know, just to, to, to something that I think a lot of investors don't have, I would say ZEM are emerging markets. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about ZEM on this podcast. Um, we think it's an area that's under-owned um, amongst, um, you know, our retail, Canadian retail. Um, we tend to focus, you know, even in our conversations on Canada and the U.S., but ZEM We've talked for multiple reasons. This, you know, really interesting segment of the market continues to have strong performance. I think in a in a bullish 2021, that bodes well for emerging markets in general. And then, you know, the, to the point about the commodity complex that Chris is talking about, um, bodes well for ZEM. You know, the rise of China, I think, continues to play a theme. And, and I think ZEM is probably something that, you know, like I said, a lot of investors don't have in their portfolio. So, you know, we've got the largest, uh, most liquid that's performing uh, emerging market exposure in Canada. I'm happy to say so. I think ZEM is something investors should look at in 2021. They don't have it already. 
I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take a slightly different approach to that. I'm going to go a little bit more um, core on this and maybe uh, um, chicken out a little bit. I'm not going to go so far out on a limb to, to pick a smaller sector. I'm, I'm going to pick ZGQ and, you know, I've been asked this a couple of times recently and, you know, my answer tends to be similar. Um, you know, when, when I do get asked that, you know, I like ZGQ because I want um, the best companies globally and, you know, really hopefully, um, you know, if the economy improves uh, in, in 2021, uh, either regionally or globally, um, if you pick a, uh, an ETF that has sort of the global opportunity set in there, including EM, um, then hopefully you get the best companies out of that and, and you get a, a strong return. Um, you know, we have talked a lot on this uh, call about the benefits of having a quality exposure, um, the uncertainties that are still ahead um, with the economic reopening. Um, and just to echo my comments a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe being a little bit uh, worried about valuations in the U.S., um, you know, I want a global exposure. So I want not just U.S. Um, I want, you know, I'm not going to exclude it, but I want a global exposure. And again, uh, leading to the, the highest quality companies globally, I think makes a lot of sense for one ticker. You know, to echo Chris's comment, of course, building a portfolio is more about one ticker. But I think if you start with ZGQ or something similar there, um, that's a great kind of core holding and you can really build out around that. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick with ZGQ. If the question was, uh, could I only buy one ticker, I'd agree with Nkini too. I would go with ZGQ. It is a great exposure. <laughs> you know, if I could choose only one for the equity side, ZGQ would be the one for me as well. All right, thanks, folks. Good to uh, good to put you on the spot like that, heading into uh, year end here. So with that, I do want to check if there's any questions on the line for Chris and Chris. Uh, changing gears, guys, with regards to yield, I'm getting a lot of questions around ZRE. And in terms of the distribution each month, is that variable or how do, well, be more particular, how do we determine what that value is going to be? And is it static? Thanks. Thanks. I'll, I'll jump in on, the, on this one. Thanks for the question. Um, so, you know, first, in regards to the, uh, you know, distributions on all our products, you know, essentially we're, we're just looking to distribute what is earned inside the fund. Um, less any fees. So, you know, if you apply to REITs, you know, we'd be looking at the portfolio of REITs that we own. It's about 20 REITs equally weighted. Look at the cumulative distribution we're earning off those REITs, less the fees, and that's what will be our distribution payout. And we, we tend to try and smooth it a little bit from month to month, but we'll, we'll always reset that to what we're earning on the underlying portfolio. So we do not overpay on distributions um, across our suite. You know, in terms of the REITs, I think it's an interesting area. I mean, you talk about sectors that were beaten up in 2020. Um, certainly, the REITs fell into that category. Um, they've had some pretty strong price performance um, as of recently, and, and we've really seen the market uh, start to take a turn after that first vaccine announcement. So, we've got six weeks of really good performance. We're seeing a lot more activity in the REITs. You know, um, I think our our, our our number one recommendation, you know, throughout the summer was banks. We said, that, you know, this is a good cyclical area to dip your toes into cyclical. You know, I think the REITs is a longer-term trade. Um, probably still is a longer-term trade, but we're seeing life in the REITs. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of the distribution, um, yeah, I, I believe a few of the REITs have, have slightly cut their distribution, the H&R and Common R REIT. Um, but net-net, you're looking at 
you know, relative to last year, maybe 2% less. So, you know, instead of getting 100 bucks, you're getting 98 from the REITs. So the distributions are, are pretty solid. And, and uh, you know, like we said, with the reopening trade, um, hopefully going to reopen more stores and um, next year, um, you know, reopen the economy in general, that's going to be constructive for REITs. So, um, per, so, so far, the distribution yield has been, been solid and, and uh, you know, uh, we're hopefully optimistic for 2021 that uh, we're going to see better fundamental strength in the REITs and kind of continue to see this um, strong price appreciation that we've come seeing in, in recent markets. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us this morning. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation today covering quite a bit of ground in the ETF market. Of course, thanks to both Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks uh, for your insights, uh, for your trade ideas, and uh, in, in your view of what's to come uh, in markets in 2021. I thought it was a really good conversation today. So with that, I'd like to wish everyone a happy break. Hopefully take some holidays, take some time off, recharge a little bit, and we'll speak to you again in 2021. Thank you. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Chris McKinney, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. So there you have it. This holiday season, it helps to be cautiously optimistic all the way. For example, with equities, consider ZGQ from BMO's quality ETF suite. For fixed income, concentrate on short to midterm bond ETFs like ZQB or ZCS. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's B-M-O-E-T-F-S dot C-A. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.